Welcome to Conversations on the Coast, the Bay Area's premier author interview program. And today we are going to welcome a guest who has many ways to be called. One of the ways is he is the demon dog of American crime fiction. And others say he is one of the great American writers. That I think is a little more complimentary. And uh, Stephen King did a, did a whole thing on him, which I, which I can't find. But at any rate, he said, if you want a real novelist, buy the books of James Elroy. And James is here. Welcome. Hey, Big Jim, we go back, don't we, we Big Daddy? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, do we go back. But we're going to move forward today. We're yes. going to talk about your latest novel. It is called Perfidia. And I want to start right at the beginning, the uh, meaning of the word perfidia. And the notes give us several ideas. And this is one that I remember. In the 1940s, perfidia was a big band hit by the likes of Glenn Miller and others, right? It's correct. It was written by a man named Gonzalez. He was from... Somewhere south of the border, Central America, Mexico, Cuba, perhaps. Yeah. It's been covered many, many times in Spanish and in English. Perfidia, translated, means perfidy or betrayal, betrayal in yeah. Spanish. And it is the haunting, elegiac tune, refrain, that pervades the lives of all the characters in Perfidia, the book. My arms cry out, perfidia. Yes. Yes. It's a great song and good for dancing. It is. It's sad. It's mournful. She'd done me wrong. Baby, it was so good. How could you do this to me? Yeah. How could you make it end? Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's, it's, it's that kind of song. Now, one of the other things that this uh, book is, it, it, it's the beginning of something new in your literary career. Uh, Perfidia is the first volume of my second L.A. Quartet. The initial L.A. Quartet is comprised of The Black Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential, and White Jazz. Those four novels cover Los Angeles from 1946 right. to 1958. It's followed by the Underworld USA Trilogy, American Tabloid, The Cold 6,000 Bloods of Rover, which covers America at large between 58 and 72. The design of the second L.A. Quartet is unprecedented. I take real-life and fictional characters from both bodies of work and place them in L.A. during World War II as significantly younger people. Yes, and in the book itself, way, way in the back, where you lay out this plan for the trilogy, you give us uh, many pages of Dramatis Personae. Yes. Folks that are in this book and have been in the others and yeah. those that are original. Yeah. It, and it, it's, it's amazing. It goes on for pages and pages and pages. There are 40 characters from my earlier work who reappear as younger people in Perfidia. And in a dramatic personae, I describe who they are and note their previous appearances in my work. See, now this is why I don't think it's nice 
to call you the demon dog of American crime fiction, because what you're about to me is so much more. And it, it's even for somebody as slow on the trigger as I am, it's all beginning to take shape. And there's What's a grand your... design of my work. Mm -hmm. I'm a historical novelist. I have merged the crime novel and the historical novel as well as the political novel over my past eight books. The original L.A. Quartet, The Underworld USA, and now the second L.A. Quartet, the design, again, unprecedented, is to merge my entire career as a historical novelist into one seamless whole, 31 years of American history. Thinking of the next, uh, the, the next book to come in this grouping, is it going to cover a very short period of time as this one does? No. Perfidia is told in real time. Uh -huh. It begins on December 6th, yep. the day before the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and concludes 23 days later on December 29th. The new book will go from New Year's, 1942, mm -hmm. through the end of the summer. Okay. And... Uh, when can we have that in hand? A couple of years. Okay. Now, one of the things that, that, that every one of your books that we've been talking about here really features incredible research, some of which you do and some of which is done by, by others. But the molding of them into readable fiction, that's all you. I deal in verisimilitude. I take research, and I'm not looking for anything hidden, secret CIA archives, Freedom of Information Act, handouts. No, not a chance. What I do is use research as a point of extrapolation uh -huh. so that I have the latitude to, to take established facts and rework them fictionally to my own designs. And that makes it very much yours, very original. It's how well I can lie, how well I can create <laughs> within the established framework of history. I thought we were being literary there. We and then, are, Jim. And, and, and then you said how well I can lie. Jeez. I make it up in the end. <laughs> hey, so much for the background and the literary placement of Perfidia. And we'll we'll meet uh, some of the main protagonists. How about that? Let's do it. The same protagonists when we return. Yeah. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Foster COC or send an email to Jim Foster COC at gmail.com. Perfidia, it's a novel by a great writer, James Elroy, published by our friends at Alfred A. Knopf. And we didn't say that before, and that's bad, because they're our favorite publisher. They're the greatest publisher in the world. They certainly they turn are. 100. Alfred A. Knopf turns 100 next year. Ooh. The Borzoi, that skinny dog, turns 100 years of age. And in that 100 years, there have only been three publishers and editors-in-chief. Mr. Knopf himself, Alfred Knopf, 
Robert Gottlieb and Sonny Mehta. I remember, I remember Sonny. Sonny is still with us. Sonny is still with us and still running Knopf with an iron paw. Ah, that's good. That's good. I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. Uh, our, our friends at uh, Kirkus had some nice things to say. Well, I thought we should share a few of them. As they say, though, it, the book, Pivots on the Pearl Harbor Attack, this worm's eye view <laughs> from thoroughly corrupt Los Angeles is a war novel like no other. It's complicated, and the author, James Elroy, wouldn't have it any other way. Elroy is not only back in form. I don't know you left it. But yes. Not only back in form, but he's raised the stakes. Do you think you've raised the stakes? I think Perfidio, which is my largest book, my longest book, is also my most emotionally resonant book and my most historically steeped book. Is it most emotionally resonant because of the great attention that you pay to female characters here, particularly one? I've written, yes, you're right. I've written from a woman's perspective for the entire book, and the excerpt that I'll read shortly is from her viewpoint. She's a brilliant young woman. She's 21 years of age. We know her from the Black Dahlia, mm -hmm. a an earlier written but latter set book. Here she is at age 21, Kay Lake. Kay Lake uh, talks differently from uh, many of your characters. She's informally it, educated. UCLA. It, well, she's, she's going to UCLA. Oh, she's still going, oh, okay. Yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's a dilettante. She's 21. She's... As I say, a prairie girl and a lucky RVist. She hitchhiked out to L.A. during the Depression. She's got a mad crush on a boxer named Bucky Bleichert, who, who she will ultimately wed in the Black Dahlia, mm -hmm. which is set six years in the future and which was published 27 years ago, Jim, back when I first met you. It's, wow, it's, it's a been long, that long. It is, it's been that long. I and, and we're still talking to one another. We're still talking to one hey, another. that's amazing. That is amazing <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> Good Lord. And so here we are in Los Angeles. Kay Lake from the Black Dahlia, William H. Parker, the real-life reforming chief of the LAPD, Dudley Smith, the demonic Irish policeman. Hideo Ishida, who's only referenced in the Black Dahlia, but who is a brilliant forensic chemist and the only Japanese on the LAPD. And also the inventor of some uh, photographic device. Of a photographic device that serves to explicate the entire unraveling of a great conspiracy in this book. And uh, he uses it in a kind of unofficial way, doesn't he? Hideo I mean, Ishida. Not, not the whole. That, that, not, not everybody on the force has any idea that it exists. No, no. Hideo Ishida is a genius. He's a forensic groundbreaker. 
He is the protege of the real-life great forensic chemist, Ray Pinker, immortalized by Jack Webb in Dragnet. Uh -huh. And there's nobody like him in my oeuvre. He's a great guy. I like Ishida. The other thing about him is that because one of the other central plot issues is the death by suicide or murder, we're not sure, of an entire Japanese family, the Watanabes, he would obviously be attracted to trying to understand that, to trying to solve it, and, and and that parallels all the furor about let's get the Japs, let's kill them all, let's yes. win the war, which hasn't yet been declared by the yes, end of the book. Yeah. The Watanabe family has found their Highland Park home dead. It's either ritual suicide, seppuku, or it's murder. The war is imminent, and... At the moment that Perfidia begins, Roosevelt is, is talking to Japanese envoys in Washington. Then the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor turns everything topsy-turvy, and the Watanabe murder case becomes a political lightning rod and storm center that, as it says in the cover copy for Perfidia, illuminates the lives of our very brilliant and driven protagonists. Yeah, it does. It really does. And I got to admire him. I, I got to like him. I, I I mean the way the way he, you know, stands up for his cultural beliefs, if you will. Mm -hmm. The way he continued despite all kinds of name calling and stuff to do his job in the police department. Yeah. Yeah, he's a brave young man. And it, I would have been remiss in not having one Japanese character. And he's a man very much divided between his Japanese ancestral roots yeah. and his American birthplace. Mm. A good man, a good man, one to admire, one to continue to think about. You know, one thing about having James Elroy here to talk about Perfidia is, as usual, you know that no matter what the question is, you'll get a good and honest answer. And we're going to check out that theory when we come back. You're listening to Conversations on the Coast with Jim Foster. Follow us on Twitter at JimFosterCoc or send an email to JimFosterCoc at gmail.com. Perfidia. Remember that word. It's a tune you can dance to. It's been that for a long time. And now it's a novel that you won't be able to put down by the great James Elroy, published by our favorite publisher, Alfred A. Knopf. And that's what we love about Knopf. It's Alfred A. Knopf. It's, and it's the home of the Borzoi. And the home of the Borzoi, yes. You always remind me of that, don't you? Yes. One of the people who's gotten around to reviewing this book, which has just come out, is uh, Booklist. And they uh, mentioned that, in their judgment, this shows a triumphant return to form, whatever the hell that means. It means it's good. <laughs> I don't think I've ever lost my form. That's but, what I was thinking. Yeah. All right. They also go on to say, 
what he's achieved here is a disturbing, unforgettable, and inflammatory vision of how the men in charge respond to the threat of war. It's an ugly picture, but just try looking away. Bless and you them. know the reason you can't look away? Because Why? that's the way it was. It's the way it was. World War II, early World War II, was a time of profound patriotic fervor, great self-sacrifice, vile racial hate, just a few heartbeats away. Just a heartbeat away now is the fact that we are going to hear some part of your book. Can you context it for us? Yes. This is Kay Lake's first appearance Good. in this book. Chapter 2, Kay Lake's Diary, compiled and chronologically inserted by the Los Angeles Police Museum. Los Angeles, Saturday, December 6th, 1941. 11.23 a.m. I've begun this diary on impulse. An extraordinary scene unfolded as I sat on my separate bedroom terrace. I was sketching the southern view and heard the rumble of engines below me on the strip. I immediately got up and wrote down the precise time and date. I sensed what the rumble portended, and I was right. A line of armored vehicles chugged west on sunset to fevered scrutiny and applause. It took a full ten minutes for the armada to pass. The noise was loud, the cheers louder. People stopped their cars to get out and salute the young soldiers. It played hell with the flow of traffic, but no one seemed to care. The soldiers were delighted by this display of respect and affection. They waved and blew kisses. A half-dozen waitresses from Dave's Blue Room ran out and passed them cases of liquor. Somebody shouted, America. And that's when I knew. The war is coming. I'm going to enlist. And she does not succeed. No, her name is on a list. It precludes her enlistment, but something greater is in store for her. Yay! Yeah. She's entrapped by Whiskey Bill Parker, <laughs> the piously Catholic, badly alcoholic. Very piously. Very pious, very, very piously judgmental. Catholic. Very, very close to the Cardinal Archbishop. Mm-hmm. Which yes, him... the real Archbishop, J.J. Cantwell. Ah, yeah, that's the real guy. The real man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a nice fellow. You know, he's he's okay. He's good to people. He's just raucous and and boozed out in the manner of early nineteen forties clerical folks. Come on, Jim. <laughs> You're a Catholic layman. You've yes, known I a, certainly am. Yeah, you know a, a few priests who've tipped it, haven't you? Oh, yes. We know some DUIs among them. <laughs> certainly do. Certainly do. Now, uh, in a author's questionnaire that came along with the book in very small type, but I persisted and was able to read parts of it, uh, you give a very interesting reading uh, reason uh, 
for your focusing so well and deeply on women characters uh, in, in this book. You say, I was in love with both Lake and De Haven, De Haven, De Haven, yeah. De Haven, uh, when, I, when I wrote the book. And my lust was my magnifying glass to see their souls. They're two of my favorite women characters, Claire de Haven, the Red Queen, is a left-wing socialite, and with surprising dimension revealed in Perfidia. She's a character from my earlier published but latter set book, The Big Nowhere. Kay Lake, we've discussed. Yeah. yeah. I, as Duke Ellington once said, I got it bad, and that ain't good. Mm. And I had it bad for both Claire de Haven and Kate Lake. And it was good for us. It was good. In, in terms of how they they work in, in the book, and they add a lot to the entertainment. And I think they add a different dimension uh, to your examination of, of crime and and that kind of thing. They're both remarkable women. I love them dearly. A lot of the work of putting Perfidia together was going back and reading my first seven novels mm. so that I simply wouldn't contradict myself yeah, at the yeah. level of fact. Yeah. yeah. Claire de Haven is, it took me a long time to determine her birth year, which was 1910. Uh-huh. And I finally found it midway through the big nowhere. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Thank I'm you a, for a, your persistence. Brother, I'm a diligent guy, if nothing else. <laughs> and you write great novels. Though this is going to be part of a group of books, don't wait. It stands alone marvelously well. It's, it's my beginning. It's the chronological beginning of my career as a historical novelist. I've never written a book set before 1941. This is the start. Good. It's called Perfidia. Perfidia. We've been talking to the author, James Elroy. This has been Conversations on the Coast, and I'm Jim Foster. Follow us on Twitter at Jim Foster COC, or send an email to Jim Foster COC at gmail.com.